One of my very favorite instructors, Ed Chesley, used to stand before the class. Incidentally, Ed Chesley was always well prepared, but many times he would open his uh, class by saying, I can't wait to see what I'm going to say about that. And uh, as I think about where we're going this morning, that's kind of in my mind. I can't wait to see what I'm going to say about this. We're going to look this morning at a letter, begin looking at a letter from a, from really a hostile man, a man who was a persecutor of the church. You know who I'm talking about, the Apostle Paul. When you look at Paul's early life, he was not a man that we would admire, quite the opposite. And he's writing a letter to a young man who was a, a man estranged from the body of Christ. He wasn't part of it. He was a man who uh, was part of a pagan culture. Uh, he did not know the things of God. And yet, as we read this letter, we find that that hostile, angry, religious zealot has been transformed into the great apostle Paul. And we find that that young pagan lad has been commissioned to go out as an ambassador for Christ uh, with the authority of the apostles to plant churches on the Isle of Crete. And so who might I be speaking of? Titus and Paul. So look with me to the book of Titus. I think I'll ask you to kind of split your minds this morning. As you look at Titus, uh, you might look in the Pew Bible or in the Bible that you have with you and read with me, but I'm going to read it out of the ESV because of a few phrases that I think are a little clearer and require less explaining. I'm just going to read the first five verses of Titus chapter 1. Track with me as we read it. But let's ask the Lord to direct our thoughts and our words before we begin. Father, it's an amazing thing that we have in our hands, the very word of God, your words. Lord, as we ponder that, we marvel that you could superintend the transmission of this word down through the ages, that you could inspire men to record, to write from their own experience the very things that you'd have us to know. And yet, Lord, we know it's true. Speak to us, Lord your word this morning. Speak to me. Lord, use this time. Use inadequacies and all. Lord, that we might learn of you and that the end result would be that we'd be more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Reading Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith, or for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in the common faith, 
Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And really we're entering into a new paragraph, but I want to pick up the first sentence of that new paragraph. Which says, this is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Just glean a few things with me out of those first few verses. Notice what Paul calls himself. Paul, a bondservant or a slave of Christ, and a slave is just what you think of as a slave. A slave is one who looks out for the interests of others and not their own things. It's one who's in bondage to another. And Paul describes himself as a slave of God. Then he goes on and describes himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, I've struggled with the word apostle a little bit. The word apostle is used in a general sense sometimes of just meaning one that's sent out with a task. But this is a much more specific usage of the word here. He's speaking of himself as one of the select few that was chosen by God in the early days of Christ church to go out and lay the foundation for it. And I, I tried to write a definition. So this is Phil's definition, inadequate though it may be. But I believe that an apostle is one who is commissioned and given authority directly by Christ. In other words, Christ himself had to send the apostles out. It wasn't in general by the church. It wasn't in general by a board. It was by Christ himself. Uh, he was sent out. He was sent out with this purpose. Listen to this. He was sent out to propagate and organize his church. Now, if we had a lot of time, we could sit and talk about that a little bit. But I believe that he was sent out to evangelize and to teach. But it was to prepare his church to go into the world. It was to prepare his church to be effective witnesses of the grace of God. Uh, the apostles laid the foundation of the church from its very beginning to its maturity. That was their job, to lay the foundation of the church. Peter gave the qualifications of an apostle. Remember when one defected, the, the one who gave Christ up to the enemy, when he defected, Peter was talking about the replacement. He said, here's the qualification. Uh, I'm reading Acts 1.22, paraphrasing a little. It says, A man who was with us from the baptism of John to the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And so, it had to be somebody who knew Christ, who walked with Christ, who understood his ministry, who heard his teaching, and then was commissioned by Christ to go into the world. Paul was a unique apostle. He's met Christ in a different kind of way. We'll, we'll deal with that another time. But yet he was an apostle. Which leads me to the thought of why, why did they need apostles? Why would they need it at all? What was it that was so special in that day that God would commission 12 unique men to go out? Well, remember, first of all, that they had no Bible. The Bible wasn't there before them. They, like us, where we have 10 on our shelf, they had no Bible. The Bible was being formulated as God was moving through his prophets and through the apostles to record it. So they had no Bible in front of them. They had to have someone with authority and a commission from God to teach and to instruct. The, the church had no order. Since there was no Bible to order the church, 
then again, there had to be someone with the authority to teach what God would have for his church. So the apostles were needed to form the church. It was critical as it developed in the early days and the instructions like this one given to Titus were important to the developing churches. This letter, here's something that uh, uh, Martin Luther said about it. Let me just read a little quote from Martin Luther. He said, this is a short epistle, but yet had such a quintessence, I just wanted to say that word this morning, <laughs> quintessence. Uh, quintessence means the purest form, uh, the most compact form. I'll read it again. This is a short epistle. Let's see if I can say it again. But had such a quintessence of Christian doctrine and composed in such a masterly manner that it contains all that is needful for Christian knowledge and life. He thought quite a bit of this book, didn't he? He thought that it was all here in summary form. And, and as, as I've read through it and pondered and chewed on it over the last couple of weeks, I tend to agree with him. It's here. You know, there are instructions in this book about good churches. Everybody want to be part of a good church. I was talking with Brother Bill a couple weeks ago, and we were talking a little bit about this letter, just in a superficial way, but I was thinking about my experience in the local church. It hasn't all been perfect. How about you? For those of you who have been around the local church for a few years, uh, there are usually a few bumps in the road. But the Lord has put us, and I think of three occasions, and I'm not going to labor you with all of them, but uh, he's put us into settings where my family was ministered to in a local church. And I wasn't always in leadership. I wasn't involved in the leadership in all cases. In our early marriage, Myrna and I moved to Talmadge. Southeast Avenue in Talmadge. You know where it is? Just off the circle. And right down the road, there was a little church. We thought uh, we'd been driving across town. We thought we'd better try out this little local church. And we went into this little local church. And the first thing we noticed that a man stepped up a little bit later in the years, a little long in the tooth, and he began to teach the Word of God. And he did it in a way that was very methodical. Uh, he probably wasn't the best speaker that I've ever heard, although he was very good. At the end of his message, you knew what he was saying. But what he did do is he exposed the Word of God, the, the word exposition, exposed what was there. And he just methodically worked through it. And when I say methodically, I think we may have been three years in the book of John or something like that. He, he went verse by verse, thought by thought, uh, kind of things that most churches have little appetite for today. But, but Brother Kate was a real influence on our life. And he, he helped me to see just a glimpse of what could be learned from Scripture. And really, while I came to faith earlier than that, it was not until Brother Kate's ministry that I really understood what had happened to me that I really understood that there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ and why that could be true. It was really his ministry that led me to that. And then we began attending, and Myrna can tell you about this if you want to know more, but we began attending a little uh, 
young married class, I guess is what we called it. Uh, but no one wanted to leave it because it was a, a group of people who had been together. So some of them weren't quite so young, but we were. We were very young. In fact, we just had one child at this time, and he was just a baby. And we began to attend, and we came across Bruce and Catherine, who kind of led the class. And you know what we saw there? We saw two people who, with great humility, were living out their faith. And we watched them as they raised their children. They had three children, a little older. They were in their teens or close to it by that time. And we, and we watched them. And we watched them live that faith out. And they modeled Christ for us. And they were so important to us. And then, shortly thereafter, a young man came out of the military. This would have been 1968, I remember when he came out. And we were beginning to grow in our faith, but a young friend who became really one of my closest friends on earth, still is, Bill Cord came out. Bill had a heart for ministry, he had a heart for the Word, and had an acute understanding of Scripture. He was just tuned in. If someone said a verse, he knew where it was. He had that kind of a mind. And some of you know Bill Cord. Nancy, you know Bill Cord. And, and Bill became really, for those early years, a mentor to me. And what I saw in Bill was a passion for the Word and a passion for people. Uh, Bill was the kind of guy that could talk to a stop sign for an hour. And just think what he'd do with a gas station attendant, which I saw on many occasions, is that, that he had a passion for people. Well, what am I describing? What I'm describing is a local church where we were nurtured, where there were people there who loved us right off the bat. Bruce and Catherine just took us under their wing and they loved us, didn't they, Mark? And, and they cared for our soul and they cared for our well-being and then they lived Christ out before us. I've been in other local churches that were not always quite that way. How about you? And maybe the environment wasn't quite as warm and inviting and nurturing. And, and while I'm talking about the local church, incidentally, that word is not used in Titus. Not used. The word isn't in here that I know of. I couldn't find it. But notice something. He says, Titus, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. Elders in what? Right? Elders in the church. It's, it is in every page, almost every paragraph of the book, and yet it's not mentioned. It was just assumed. It was understood that he's writing about the local church and how the local church is to be set up. And as I worked through the book of Titus, I began to realize something. That as he's telling young Titus to go finish up, fix the church at Crete, and that's really what he's saying. There's things that are not quite right. The word that he uses there, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order. That word set in order is like you do with a broken bone. You know, you have somebody with a broken bone and you set them down and you cast it and you get it back in place. Well, it means that there's disorder in the church at Crete. I want you to go fix it. And so, as he's instructing Titus about fixing the church, 
it seems like in this letter there are three very specific things that he says about this church. And he says the first thing is established leaders. You see it right there in that verse, and we're going to look at that next week, the establishing of leaders. And, and let me just say this. Uh, churches rise no higher than their leadership. And boy, is that an ominous statement, isn't it, Bill? Churches rise no higher than their leadership. You've got to have a model of Christ before the people. You've got to have someone who has passion for the Word of God and passion for people. And churches, you can argue that with me, talk about it later, but churches rise no higher than their leadership. And trust me, that's a weight on a leader. For you who are aspiring leaders, that's a weight. And, and men, many of you know that to be true. So he, he's going to tell them about a good church and that that good church has good leaders. But then the second thing he's going to teach is that good churches have good teaching because there's a lot in Titus about doctrine. And doctrine means the whole body of our faith, what we believe, the teaching that comes out of this pulpit and from the classes and throughout the ministry of the church. And so teaching is important regardless of what contemporary culture says. Doctrine is important. Listen, when the chips are down, when difficult times come, we better know our doctrine. We better understand what it is about Jesus that will give us security. We better understand those things. And then the third thing that we see in this book is that a doctrine that does not result in Godly living is useless. It's absolutely futile. Because doctrine, the teaching of God's word, should have the net effect of changing us, transforming us, making us more like Jesus. And so, Titus, I want you to go set in order the things that are lacking in Crete. I want you to establish leaders. I want you to make sure the teaching is sound and, and thorough. And I also want you to make sure that there's godly living there. That's a result of that doctrine. So, really, that's kind of a summary of the book of Titus. The, the key verse, I believe, the mandate given to Titus is in verse uh, 5. And I've read it a couple times. But he said, Paul said, for this reason, I'm leaving you in Crete. I want you to set in order the things that are lacking. Things that are lacking, might I add in the church. You know, the, the, uh, the purpose, I, as I've mentioned, I, 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 it just led me to think that this morning we ought to do a little refresher on the church. And forgive me if this is too uh, basic, too foundational, but I think sometimes we just need to be reminded of how Christ feels about his church. It's very important to me. In the Gospels, at one point, Christ said, I am going to build my church. I will build my church. That's a pretty absolute statement, isn't it? And the gates of hell, or the powers, the authority of hell, are not going to prevail against it. Do you know there's going to be a church of Jesus Christ on this earth until he comes? Amen. Absolutely, positively, as sure as I'm standing here, that church will prevail by the promise of our Lord and Savior. The church will prevail. And, you know, as I, as I look at this and you try to, to think
think through this thing, the church will prevail, but how is the church manifest? You know, he, he gives a lot of instruction about church leaders. He says, and we'll, we'll read this in a moment probably, but he said, I, I gave you pastors and teachers.
this local church is God's idea. And, and he intends for it to be a nurturing, safe place for his people. So let's be part of it, right? Let's pray.